Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Franchises have an economic output of $787 billion and employ over 8 million people. Oh, my gosh. That accounts for 3% of the national GDP. Last March, everything changed and the long-term plan became the right now plan. 2020 became an accelerant for everyone, including franchises. Catherine Munson brings 30 years of franchising and management experience and is currently the president and CEO of Fast Signs International. Last February, she became the chair of the IFA, that's the International Franchise Association. And today she'll address the strategies for franchise growth and how support and mentoring have become the foundation of franchising. Catherine, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you, Jeffrey. It is great to be with you. Should we tell everybody how long we've known each other, or are we just going to keep that a secret? You know, we've known each other about as long as you have been in the franchising business. Which would mean it's been 40 years, Jeffrey, not 30. But thank you for trying to make me look younger. I appreciate that. (laughs) So I tell you, you walked right into the fire. I know in February, I can remember seeing you and last year in a lot of different meetings at the White House uh, with the president really talking about what you could do to help franchises. You know, how has the franchise industry been affected by everything that's going on right now? Well, I would say that, you know, franchising has been affected just as all businesses have. You've got your essential businesses, your non-essential businesses. Um, And I'm happy to share with you both from an IFA, International Franchise Association perspective, as well as a Fast Signs perspective of what we've done. But I just have to tell you, you know, you say walk into the fire. um, It's been a marvelous year to be able to have impact and to help all of franchising. I cannot say enough good things about the government relations team at the International Franchise Association. To be honest, it was the IFA's idea to come up with the PPP program, talking to Senator Rubio's office. Uh, We were very effective in getting um, certain affiliation rules waived so that uh, franchisees would be able to have the same access to PPP loans as independent businesses. And then the way we spun up almost daily webinars starting about the third week in March to provide value to our members on how to innovate, how to you know comply with FFCRA, the CARES Act, how to get PPP loans, uh, and then bringing in folks that were having success and sharing that with other success. It's been a really exciting and successful year, but I do think I have gray hair now. <laughs> well, you know, Catherine, I know we were watching the IFA a lot for our C-suite network members because so much great information was coming from IFA. You're at the front of that. And, I, and again, I want to give credit. I don't know who came up with, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still getting over a bad cold. <clears throat> Hopefully it's not COVID. <clears throat> but I don't know who came up with the the one aspect of let's don't put everybody on an unemployment. Let's go handle it in the businesses. Whoever did that, uh, whoever came up with that, I thought that was one of the best things because we would have seen more unemployment than ever before had we not kept the employees back in the business. So hats off to whoever did that. Yeah, it's it, it's been a it's been a good and active year, and I think that uh, it will be a very active year for the IFA coming up ahead and in the next four years. Yeah, in the intro, I mentioned that COVID became an accelerant for most almost everyone in the industry. How did it accelerate you for at Fast Signs and the industry as a whole? 
Well, thank you for asking that. What's very interesting is when uh, the federal government per first put out their list of who is an essential worker, which essentially is what is an essential business, uh, signage companies were not on there. Yeah. And uh, we very quickly taught our employees how to build a case file that they were essential. And close to 96, 97, 98 of our franchisees were actually audited by health officials and all passed because they did take the proactive approach we did that said, get in touch with your essential customers and have them write you an email on with their you know logo that says I need fast signs they're essential my signing needs are changing every day so it wasn't until July that the federal government said signage businesses were essential so we were able to help our franchisees be essential right from the second week of the pandemic all the way through that July timeframe. And so it was very common for our franchisees to be open and all their competitors were closed. So we were very lucky that way. But wow. what we put together was a, you know, we quickly stood up what we call the prepared site that only folks in our uh, Google workspace could get to. So it was completely secure to our franchisees. And we just started loading assets and putting together training on how to, whether it was comply with FFCRA, comply with the CARES Act, how to prove that you're essential right on down to the new mark products and services to sell. And then we would have franchisees send their success stories into COVID success at fastsigns.com. And every week we were doing what we call connect with Catherine conference calls, hour, hour and a half video calls with the entire network, sharing information, sharing best practices, practices, ideas. And literally, while we were down from uh, same center sales, comparative center sales, while we were down 29% in April, for the year, we're only down 2% for the all of 2020. So wow. while there was that initial impact of all these businesses closing, what we did to support our franchisees, mentor our franchisees, provide new products and services, et cetera, worked out very well. And as one, I, you know, one thing, we've always been 99.9% .9 business to business. We rarely sold to consumers, but we very quickly got the idea because of Father's Day, Mother's Day, graduation, and those things, they weren't going to be graduations. We started telling our franchisees and showing them how and creating the artwork to go call on school districts and schools. And franchisees were getting $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 orders to do custom signs, you know, congratulating the, grad, congratulating the graduate with their name and their photo, and even delivering them sometimes to the houses and putting them in the yards of the graduates. So, I mean, just some very quick pivots. Uh, another amazing thing is um, the same kind of equipment it takes to cut plastic for signage, you would use to cut materials to make intubation shields and intubation um, boxes. And literally, we made thousands and thousands of our franchisees did intubation shields and intubation boxes in the April, May, June timeframe to help keep healthcare workers safe. Who would have ever thought that we would be actually making a healthcare product? So those are just some examples of how you, you listen, you got a lot of connections, uh, you're open, uh, you're reading, you're talking to friends, and you quickly act on ideas. Yeah, well, that's a great example of, uh, you know, drive and thrive, you know, don't know, not about survival, but drive and thrive. Let's change our business. Let's be innovative. Let's do that. I, I would say, Catherine, that franchisees and because of franchisors were more adaptive than other businesses were to COVID. And, and as a result, our, you know, our are weathering it a lot better than a lot of the independents because of that network and support services. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and here's why. 
with a franchise, you not only have the brain power of the corporate office, if you will, the Fast Lines International and team, but you have the brain power of every single franchisee. So when one franchisee in our network found out yeah. that, that there was a market for X, they told us, we told everybody, right? Yeah. I mean, what I love about franchising, it's the brain power of every single member of the brand. McDonald's did not sell breakfast until a franchisee who had a piece of real estate called a McDonald's in Boston wanted to sell breakfast. McDonald's corporate never thought about selling breakfast, right? But it was because of an idea, that brain power. And that is why, you know, franchisors, franchisees, the franchise model has done so well. And I'll give you a couple, a couple other great examples of how franchising really helped. Um, we had um, several of the massage franchise brands, uh, Hand and Stone, Massage Envy, Massage Heights, collaborated at a corporate level to create the safety protocols so they could reopen to keep their employees safe and their customers safe and then share them with the industry. So you just like, think about that collaboration. We had many of the home healthcare companies collaborate together to create the safety protocols to keep the home healthcare employees safe and the customer safe. And it wasn't a case of like, we're gonna compete on safety. It was no, this is about keeping everybody healthy healthy and safe, we'll compete on our own brand attributes. And so that's just some of the power of franchising and the kinds of ideas that would happen, would occur in one franchise brand, they would share with the IFA for us to share with all the other members of the franchise brand. So clearly franchise brands did better by and large than independent small businesses did. Well, let's get a little political. I mean, why not? I mean, a few <laughs> weeks ago, you know, let's do this. Hey, you know, a few weeks ago, you penned an article on franchising.com, which I, I really enjoyed. It urged the protection of the franchise business model. And I guess, quite frankly, I wasn't wasn't worried that it was under attack. But what does that model look like right now? And how will the PRO Act affect franchises should it pass the legislative branch? Well, I will I will try to not get on my political soapbox, but uh, I believe the mother of all battles to protect the franchise business model is uh, is upon us. So the PRO Act is a piece of legislation that was passed uh, in 2019 in the House. And it has a franchise component, but it has some, some very bad stuff. It really is a litany of all of big labor's, what I would consider anti-competitive bad ideas. So let's just first talk in general what the PRO Act, uh, if passed, and, and it was in the it was in Biden's DNC platform to pass it. Uh, Schumer's all behind it. Pelosi's all behind it. So mm -hmm. we as a business community are going to have to fight. So just for every business, not franchising, the PRO Act, if passed and signed into law, is going to terminate all right to work laws. Right now, we have about half the states in the United States that do not have do not allow contracts that force employees to pay union dues. Texas is a right to work state. It eliminates all of that without any state legislature involvement. It implements card check for union organizing and a union organizer can hunt down an employee at their home, at the grocery store, at their kids baseball game, pressure them to sign a card. And that actually counts as a vote to unionize. Um, it includes a stealth card check process that if there was even an election and the labor union lost, they can come up with excuses why they should have won and it will be reversed. Um, it allows ambush elections with very short lead time. Um, here's a scary thing. The PRO Act requires employers to give union organizers all their employees' personal data personal cell phones, personal home address, 
personal home phone. I mean, everything. So it makes it easy for the union organizer to track down the employee to coerce them to sign a card. Um, it allows secondary boycotts so that unions can, if you will, picket third party companies related to the employer they're trying to organize to put more pressure on it. And it restores the persuader rule, which makes it really difficult for a company to get good advice on how to appropriately handle a union organizing situation. But then there's the two components that dramatically affect and could eliminate the franchise business model. And one is it puts into legislation the Browning-Ferris NLRB decision from August of 2015. That was a Obama NLRB all union activists that expanded the definition of joint employer to potential control. And that could make every franchisee's employee an employee of the franchisor. The second thing it does is it legislates the California AB5 ABC test, which also makes a franchisee not an independent business person, but an employee of the franchisor. So, I mean, it is a very damaging piece of proposed legislation that uh, Pelosi will bring up again. It passed in the last house, but now we have the new house. It'll come up again. Um, Schumer is for it. And Biden in the DNC platform says they're for it. So the franchise industry has a fight ahead. Uh, what we tried to do in California when California passed AB5 uh, in uh, September 2019 is we tried to get a franchising exemption. Many industries and groups got, extent, got exemptions, but we were unable to get one in franchising, and that's because of labor's outsized influence in California. So in December, the International Franchise Association joined with several franchisee associations and brought a lawsuit against the state of California to get a franchising exemption from AB5. And so that is working its way through the courts now. We're hopeful that we will A, win that suit, and B, um, the House, the Senate, and uh, President Biden will understand there needs to be a franchising exemption, that franchisees are not the employees of a franchisor, and a franchisee's employees are not the employees of the franchisor. If those two things pass as part of the PRO Act, there may be no franchising because a franchisor cannot afford to have all the risk and all the liability of being the employer, the employer of their franchisees and their franchisees' employees for only a six or a five or a seven percent royalty. It isn't going to work. Uh, so it could be the absolute death knell of franchising. Terrifying. C-Suite Radio. You know, on the on the other side, there are those that would argue that the PRO Act, you know, kind of protects workers and allows them to organize and unionize. You know, it's interesting that the public sector workers don't have federal protections to organize or collective bargaining, which is interesting because it's the number one employer in the world. Um, is there a right way to protect workers? I mean, because you, you're not just anti. I know you're for things. So is there a right way to protect workers and ensure they have workplace protection? Well, I believe there was a real reason for unions. Go back to the beginning of the 1900s and uh, employers had outsized power and abused workers and didn't pay them well and worked long hours and pressed them. There was child labor issues, all kinds of things. But we as a country implemented laws. We have minimum wage laws. We have scheduling laws. We have all kinds of EEOC laws. There really isn't a need for labor unions today like there was back then. And how can you tell that? Well, you know, 
in the 1950s, 35% of all private sector workers were unionized. Last year, it was, you know, 6%. Why are less and less employees wanting to pay union dues? Because they got good employers who understand they got to have good culture and respect their people or they won't have a good workforce. Um, Right now, Catherine, as you well know, it's an employee market, not an employer market, you know, by and large. Exactly. And so, you know, every well-run company wants to have great employees and wants to pay them well, wants to train them and develop them, wants them to grow and contribute. So I don't think there is this abuse of employees. It doesn't happen in my network. You know, you hear stories about the the single mom who has to have, you know, jobs at, you know, two different McDonald's to make ends meet. A McDonald's job, for the most part, is an entry-level job, and and the goal is for you to learn skills and then get your next job. The reality is, if you look at the Department of Labor statistics, most people get paid minimum wage for no more than 97 days. Why? Because a good employee gets a raise. Why? Because the employer wants to keep them. Yeah. And that's why, you know, there's... So I just, I do not believe there is this abuse of employees that the left talks about. It occurred in the 1920s and the 1930s and the 1940s. This is 2021. Yeah. It's a whole different, it's a whole different deal. And right now we're faced with, we got to get people back to work. I don't care where you work, how you work, just get back to work. That's a big thing, you know, and I'm a firm believer that with crisis comes opportunities. You've already said that. What opportunities have you seen that franchisees can capitalize on right now? Well, I think it really depends very much what, uh, what industry they're in, right? Are they in the gym space? Are they in the restaurant space? Are they in the childcare space? So I think it really depends on that. I'm very excited to know that there's going to be a second round of PPP loans. That was that law was signed by the president. I think it was December 29, and um, you know you just need to have a decline in of quarterly sales year over year of 25% in any one quarter in 2020 to qualify. Really excited to see that that law also allows the deductibility of expenses paid for by forgiven PPP loans, very critical to help small businesses make it through when taxes are due this coming spring. Uh, but I think a lot of what they need to do is um, have a great relationship with their franchisor, uh, have a great relationship with fellow franchisees, share ideas, um, look for those opportunities like a second PPP if your sales have been down 25% in a quarter uh, and take advantage of all those kinds of opportunities. But you know, it always has been that Within every franchise brand, the franchisees that work the system best are more successful. Even if you think of the 2008-2009 recession, um, where in our network in 2009, same center sales were down 17%. We had franchisees who had sales increases, but they were the ones that were more proactive, made more sales calls, right? Spoke to more customers face-to-face, were toe-to-toe belly to belly with more people. Likewise, in the pandemic, even though we couldn't make outside sales calls, our franchisees and their outside salespeople who were using the telephone more, using email more, using LinkedIn more, right? 
were the ones that were able to get more and more of that COVID signage than some that waited for it to walk into the front door, right? Now we had all kinds of marketing and advertising. We quickly changed our TV commercials to be first about we're an essential business, helping essential businesses. And then as you're non-essential, as your business is opening up, here's what we can do. We did a lot of pivots from a national marketing standpoint um, and provided real value there, but there's still that component of implementation. And that's the key to the successful franchisee is implementation. But I'm also going to say, regardless if you're a franchisee, franchisor, mother, father, doctor, lawyer, or Indian chief, I believe there are five common characteristics of all highly successful people. And they start with positive mental attitude. Even in a pandemic, we got to have a positive mindset. Right. Followed by goal-directed behavior, self-motivation, a sense of urgency, and never stopping learning. And I believe those are common characteristics of all um, highly successful people. You'll see a little sign behind me with the acronyms PMA, GDB, SM, SOU, and NSL. And that's my reminder every day that I better have a positive mental attitude and I better be focused on my goal-directed behavior and my self-motivation, my sense of urgency, and never stopping learning. Because that's what I think in good times and bad times differentiates the more successful from the less successful. Well, without question, you've always been a good role model from that perspective. I've heard you speak and of course ask you to speak at numerous events, including the C-suite network events. And you've always been uh, one of the first people to volunteer to do that. You know, I, I also want to give hats off to franchises because I thought they did a very good job from a marketing perspective of changing, you know, not only just the, you know, just, I, I look at Popeye's, I look at Papa Murphy's, I look at, you know, a number of different places, uh, even, you know, Domino's and many others that did a really good job of adapting to the marketplace very quickly, not only with services, but then educating people to the fact that they were doing that. And I thought they were the leaders of it. You know, whenever everybody asked me about, you know, who were the real winners, I said, well, a lot of these franchises, look, they were the first ones out there doing it. Do they have the ability to, to because of the size, to be able to, to move at a quicker pace? I, you know, I wouldn't say it's only size. I think it's the inherent strength of the franchise business model, right? I go back to the brain power of everybody, right? There is usually a marketing person team that is always thinking and always looking. There's usually a franchise advisory council, a franchisee advertising council, always thinking, always looking, always brainstorming on how to get better. And that's just an inherent benefit of the model. And then if you think about it, if the franchise or is providing great training, great marketing, great support, great tools, great resources, that business owner or franchisee doesn't have to think about, I got to create marketing materials. I got to create training materials for my employees. They have more time to work on implementation. Thus, when a new marketing idea comes down, they can quickly implement it rather than having to think about all the other things that an independent business owner does. And it's just inherently the strength of the, of the franchise business model. Yeah. The franchise success rate is about 8% higher than independent businesses and it has a better one-year survival rate of about 6.3% higher as I uh, looked at the numbers. Is it because of the support they normally get from corporate or are there other factors at play? Well, I mean, one is you, know, you got to, generally speaking, you have a brand that has some brand recognition. You got great training. You know, an, an independent business person may not have the opportunity to go to our four-week initial training as a sign 
business owner, right? They're, maybe they go to an International Sign Association show that lasts three days. Maybe they read some books. Maybe they get uh, some sign industry publications. Then that business owner that's independent doesn't have, I have a team of 115 people who answer the phone and answer emails to solve franchisees' challenges, right? And so every franchisor has that support network set in. And then we also have we set up mentoring programs, franchisee to franchisee. Uh, and then there's also mentoring that happens naturally, not just organized by the franchisor. So it's it's all inherent in the franchise model. So let me ask you a question. Who started the IFA? Oh, I want to say uh, it was the, I want to say it was a, a bunch of guys, a bunch of entrepreneurs that are all started franchises 65 years ago, 66 years ago now. And I, I think, uh, and I, I should know the name is I, and if I say the name that's in my mind, it may be wrong. So it was a group of franchise or founder entrepreneurs that said, we need to get together and figure out how to help each other out. Wasn't Bill Levine one of those? Bill Levine could very well have been one of those. You're exactly that's, right. But I remember, and the reason I'm telling this story, folks, I want you to hear it. I got to tell you this fun story, just so everybody gets an insight with Catherine. Catherine was an executive at Sir Speedy and Pip, and of course, Franchise Services Inc., part of a parent company. And of course, they own this whole group owns KOA, Team Logic, a whole bunch of other things, all a bigger group, and uh, all independently, just a great, great company. But I remember the day that Catherine drove up to Ventura, California, with the CEO of Sir Speedy when they bought Pip Printing. It happened to be, if you remember this day, Catherine, I it remember it well. It happened to be Halloween. And that was the day in which they were announcing that they were buying the company. Catherine dressed, as you can only imagine, immaculately. Don Lowe, the chairman and president and CEO of, of Sir Speedy, dressed immaculately. And they walk into the PIP headquarters where they're announcing they're buying the company and everyone's dressed in costume. Can you even, imagine the. Even the CEO. <laughs> was dressed as a boy scout i remember it well and the, I, I remember talking to you and to don on the cell phone as you were driving back he says jeff you're not going to believe this there were three witches there was a, a prisoner there was this there was a clown i think the head of hr was a clown or something like that it was hilarious anyway but i'm going to tell you i don drove back I stayed up and worked the rest of the week there and employees who had on like one witch in particular, complete face makeup. I mean, like warts and everything said hello to me the next morning. And I had no idea I had ever met her before because she was so good at makeup or costumes. Well, Catherine, thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for what you're doing for business and the free enterprise system and certainly for the International Franchising Association and franchising, which is the backbone of the American dream without question. And we thank you very much for the C-Suite Network for all that you've done to elevate all the C-Suite executives around the world with your uh, professionalism and your continued, continued thrive to do the right thing. So I appreciate that so much. It is my pleasure, Jeffrey. I'm always here for you and the C-Suite Network. and. Uh will always be C-Suite Radio. Thank you so much. I'm going to turn it over. We'll get some great questions. I'm going to turn it over to Tricia and Greg. We do. Catherine, thank you so much. Just great discussions, great insight. And we love that attitude and motivation and move forward kind of approach to things, as you well know. Uh, so Daniel Huberry is one of our executive leaders. And he asks, if you're looking at your business model and you're thinking about how do you build in franchising, what do you do? Where do you start? Okay. So I believe I'm understanding the question to be that a, a, an entrepreneur has created a business. 
He owns it. He thinks it's a great idea and he wants to franchise it. So I'd say the first thing you need to do um, is uh, join the International Franchise Association. As a member, you have access to all kinds of white papers, education, training. Go to every event the International Franchise Association holds. Now, they're virtual today, but they're just as good. The IFA convention is next month in February, and it is power packed with great speakers and great stuff. There are several good books out there. Uh, Franchising for Dummies is a great one, and it's recently been updated, written by two of my good friends, Michael Side and Joyce Mazzaro. That's a great book. Uh, you need to learn about the Federal Trade Commission's requirements for franchisors, and you will need to have a franchise disclosure document written by a franchise attorney. Do not have a non-franchise attorney write it. Uh, but you also need to think through, it's more than just, I've got a great concept. It's a super restaurant, as an example, and it's growing, and, and I've now got three locations. They're all growing. I want a franchise. You've also got to think about how are you going to support the franchisees? How are you going to teach them your system? And so those kinds of basics you'll be able to learn at the IFA as a member from reading some great books on franchising um, and then get a get a great attorney that is a specialist in franchising. There are many of them. They're all members of the International Franchise Association. That is key. I think it's also important to understand that there's a critical thing in franchising called royalty self-sufficiency. That is where your franchise or business is getting enough revenue from royalty that it's paying all of your costs. These young franchisors are often requiring the initial franchise fee to pay the weight, the salaries, if you will, of their corporate staff. And that is a very difficult place to be. In general, it takes 100 locations, 100 franchise locations to achieve royalty self-sufficiency. And that's making some assumptions of about $600,000 to $700,000 average unit volume for the locations and a 5, 6, or 7% royalty rate, which gets you to about three to $4 million a year in royalty, which is typically enough to hit that royalty self-sufficiency for your support team. So it is not an easy thing to just have five franchisees or 15 or 20 franchisees because they're not generating enough revenue to pay the wages of the great people you need to support them. So learn about franchising. We have a question from Mark Bounty, which is certainly apropos today. And Connie Glover also alludes to it in her question. Uh, they want to know, Catherine, how do you envision your engagement with the new players in government uh, now that we have a, a change in administration? Uh, and what do you predict the priorities will change to? And just to add Connie, Connie says that a lot of the folks in Washington don't understand small businesses. So why don't you try and tackle uh, government and franchisees? Well, I'm going to tell you, even with a Republican administration and uh, a Republican majority in either the House or the Senate, Folks that get elected to Congress do not understand business. By and large, very few are ever business owners, right? Um, and so one of the things we try to do every year is educate lawmakers on business and the franchise business model. That's going to continue. Now, we started from an IFA perspective, developing relationships with the incoming Biden administration, uh, going back into the you know late November timeframe. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to educate the incoming class of uh, House members and Senate about the franchise business model. And we're going to work to engage every single franchise member, franchisors, franchisees, and franchise suppliers, because GR, government relations, advocacy, 
I don't, I hate the word lobbying, but it is the individual franchisee developing a relationship with their house member and their senator, hosting them in their business, explaining how many jobs they've created, explaining how they give back to the community, all that kind of stuff. Monday of next week, brand new house member just uh, sworn in, Beth Van Doon, is going to be visiting our franchisee here in Carrollton, Texas. For what reason? We're going to educate her about franchising. So that's going to be very, very important. The most important um, issue from a, a government relations standpoint right now facing franchising is helping them understand that franchising is different than independent businesses and making sure that we can work very hard to get some kind of a franchising exemption in the PRO Act if they do, in fact, choose to advance that piece of legislation, which they've all said they're going to. So that's, uh, we're going to have to. We're going to have to work hard, communicate hard, uh, and communicate well. And it's those individual relationships at the House member level and the senator level that uh, tells the compelling story, right? I risked my life savings. I started this business. I only had two employees a day I opened. Now I have 16. Here's what I pay my people. I've been able to give promotions, right? Those kinds of personal stories make a difference to the lawmaker. Catherine, uh, Kathleen Caldwell is the leader of our Women's Leadership Council. And I see in her Q&A, she said she would love for you to come and speak for our Women's Leadership Council. And, and Kara Macklin um, asked specifically what the biggest challenge was for you this year. And, and just love to hear that from the perspective as a phenomenal, powerful incredibly accomplished woman leader. Is there anything that you looked at differently in terms of being a leader, uh, being a woman leader, uh, and what 2020 looked like as we, we certainly had a larger awareness of uh, social issues and, uh, and, and discrimination and di discrepancies? Well, I, um, I happen to believe, and I'm going to go back to the five common characteristics of highly successful people, work no matter what. If you're male, female, black, white, short, tall, skinny or fat, speech impediment, no, whatever. I mean, I really truly believe that a positive mindset, goal-directed behavior, working every day to accomplish your goals, developing better and better self-motivation, right? That drive, getting two or three more things done each and every day and never stopping learning works regardless, all right? So what I had to do for me is make sure that as a leader, I was inspiring every day, even the days I woke up and I apologize for this word, scared shitless, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of how scared I was, regardless of how unknown the situation was, regardless of how big the challenges were, appeared or are, I still needed to be that inspiring leader that talked about, here's how we're going to get through it. One of the things I started doing in the third week of March is creating a, a motivational video for Fast Signs franchisees. And they're now all posted on my, my YouTube channel, YouTube forward slash Catherine Monson. But I mean, what I wanted to do was give them some hope, inspiration, motivation every single week in video form so they could watch it a second, a second time or a third time and do it every single week. So it got to be towards the end of 2020 was, holy moly, how do I come up with fresh content? But the amazing thing is I was always inspired before Wednesday morning, I walked into my studio here at work. Um, 
to come up with fresh content. And part of that is I subscribe to every positive quote of the day I can find. And there'll be one that comes across like, that's this week's video. This is perfect. So um, I just think that one of the most important things any leader can do is have a positive mindset and teach their people how to develop a positive mindset. It's real easy to spiral downwards. It is the human thing to do. It takes discipline to have a positive mindset. And how exciting is it to have 2020 under our belts, right? Because now that's a success story to share. Absolutely. In fact, I was with a group of friends. We uh, celebrated uh, New Year's in uh, Mexico, six of us. And we decided we were not going to ever say the the, the four numbers you just said the two, the zero, the two, the zero, we're just going to call it the year that shall not be named because we're not even going to give it credence anymore. We're going to start all over and fresh in 2021. I am going to try and rope in two questions from from our members for you, Catherine. So Larry Walters wants to know the top issues that franchisees need to focus on for 2021 as we come out of COVID. Harrison Waters wants to know about the differences between international franchisees so uh, do the folks in canada or china do, you know do they do it differently from folks here in the us right now okay i think uh, every franchisee every franchise or every business owner should be managing in 2021 like they did in 2020 number 1 cash is king they ought to be doing a two month three month 13 week i don't care what it is cash flow forecast with a couple different scenarios what happens if there's another shutdown right Cash is king. We got to manage expenses. Uh, I know that sounds harsh, but the most important thing is to make sure the business survives so long term it can employ more people. And then I think we've got to be more proactive there. I'd throw in the, just some positive leadership in there as well. I think that is is very, very critical. Looking for new products and services, looking for new customers, being more proactive than your competition. But most important, monthly financial statements, regular cash flow forecasts, know your banker and uh, and have contingency plans. So I would say certainly that is is important. And tell me the second question again. Oh, international. Question, what Harrison Waters want to know about the differences between international franchising, how are things different in India or China or Canada as opposed to here in the U.S.? Are regulations different perhaps? Is it yes. easier? Is it better for someone to basically buy, uh, I guess, what a Tim Hortons in Canada as opposed to starting their own donut shop? What are the differences? All right. So um, very much through the pandemic, the differences from an international perspective has been the uh, shutdown approach of the government, typically the federal government. Uh, In the UK, um, 85% of our centers were closed. They did not have the opportunity to prove they were essential because the UK government said by the kind of real estate you were in, what street you were on. If you were on a high street or a retail street, you were not allowed to be open. That had much more impact in Canada on our franchisees than it did in the United States. So I'd say certainly there's going to be um, that country's laws and their approach to things like shutdowns that certainly make a difference. There are many countries with no franchising laws and, and, and many with franchising laws, and they differ from country to country. And that's where a really savvy international franchise attorney comes in. We use one every time we're looking at or considering going into another country. And then while the model may be sim- very similar, so let's talk about 
you know, a pizza franchise in China. Uh, the pizza is, you know, good quality. They've set up the supply chain, but the uh, labor component of the business is less different. The labor is less expensive in China. So there's some different ways that you run the business or approach the business. Um, but, you know, the key is if you're if you're going to be opening in a different country, make sure that you are well grounded in that country. And I would say probably have lived there uh, and really have great experience or have a partner that is from that country. Well, I'm going to speak for pizza. I'm coming to you from New York City. So, you know, if you're going to get your pizza, you get it in New York City, you get your Chinese food in China, you get your pizza right here in New York. Well, thank you so much. Catherine, this has been a fantastic discussion. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.